This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Bishop Athanasius has spoken. Like in the past, when he has reassured the laity that they can, in fact, attend Mass with the Society of St. Pius X, that the priests of that group are not in schism and are in full communion with Rome, and that the laity may seek the sacraments and religious education from them, the good bishop has spoken again, this time in light of the hammering of tradition coming out of Rome. His advice to priests, bishops, and to laity, resist and disregard what Francis has to say. Let's dive into this story. It comes from the remnant and Diane Montagna, who sat down with the bishop for an interview. I'll provide you some highlights here, but you can read it for yourself either on the Remnant website or you can find a direct link to their posting of the piece on my sources blog at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. It's a good backup place to find me in case I get wiped off the internet otherwise. Anyway, the good bishop isn't exactly a fan of Traditionis Custodis or what Francis is doing in an age to usher in an age of liturgical desolation and the institutions parading around as the church. Miss Montagna begins by asking about Archbishop Roach's response to a dubia that, quite frankly, probably didn't exist, called Responses ad Dubium, and asks the bishop what his general impressions were. His reply is golden, quote, My initial impression was that the old wounds within the life of the church have needlessly been reopened under the pretext of achieving greater unity. Such measures justified in this matter border on mockery, since they glaringly contradict Pope Francis's general policy of healing the wounds within the life of the Church of our day, as he expressed, for instance, with the following words, The thing that the Church needs most today is the ability to heal wounds and to warm the hearts of the faithful. I see the Church as a field, tent of restoration, thank you, YouTube, after battle. It is useless to ask a seriously injured person if he has high cholesterol and about the level of his blood sugars. You have to heal his wounds. Then we could talk about everything else. Heal the wounds, heal the wounds. The new guidelines betray a hostile inflexibility, to use a phrase Pope Francis has sometimes employed in warning bishops. We are dealing with a text of an unheard of inflexibility and rigid uniformity reminiscent of certain Inquisition verdicts or dubia responses of past times that were characterized by a bloated liturgical legalism. In a cold bureaucratic manner, these new guidelines impose such merciless and discriminatory norms on the lives of so many young Catholics both priests and faithful laymen and women, that it would not be surprising if they felt like they were being spiritually tortured in slow motion. To any objective observer, the clear message these new guidelines send to Catholics attached to the traditional liturgy is this. With your religious experience, you are not welcome in the church. Your experience of the traditional liturgy is fake and inauthentic. You are living in self-deception. There is no liturgical plurality in the church today, for there is only one unique expression of the Lex Orandi, and this is the Reformed liturgy. There is only one law, and according to this law, you must die. That is, you must cut yourself off from the liturgy of your forefathers and of the saints. The authors of these new guidelines have clearly forgotten the following principle laid down by the Second Vatican Council. Even in the liturgy, the Church has no wish to impose a rigid uniformity in matters which do not implicate the faith or the good of the whole community. See Sacrosanctum Concilium, number 37. The new guidelines nullify what Pope Francis has said. Discernment is a creative process that is not limited to applying schemas. It is an antidote to rigidity because the same solutions are not valid everywhere. End very lengthy quote. What the bishop here is doing is simple. 
He's calling Francis out for his hypocrisy and doing it in language Francis understands because he's using mostly quotes that Francis used himself or quoting the Second Vatican Council, which Francis is probably the biggest fan of on the entire planet. We've seen all sorts of strange and bizarre things in the church be welcomed in the name of religious experience, including many things that simply should not happen in a parish building, like this bizarre dance routine that took fire on the internet last week. It happened in a parish church. Very strange. But traditional Catholics are not tolerated. Why? Because lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. As we worship, so we believe, so we live. With the monsters like Bugnini and the rest responsible for bringing a new rite of mass into existence in the bad old days of the 1960s, we're trying to do was to bury the faith and replace it with something else entirely. Resistance from a tiny handful of good bishops and priests made that impossible, leading eventually to some more pontificum and the old faith being kept alive, due to the authentic expression of the Catholic faith found throughout its form of worship. Francis is here to finish the job of bearing the faith and building his ape of the church, the false church of Catholic prophecy that I've covered before. When asked what his message to his brother bishops was, Bishop Athanasius responds simply, Do not comply. Quote, I would encourage my brother bishops to truly be shepherds and to extend creative charity toward their faithful, who have grown up in the ancient Roman rite, or who have had a decisive grace-filled encounter with God thanks to this form of the church's liturgy. Indeed, Pope Francis has often asked bishops to apply pastoral creativity to those people who are marginalized and whose religious aspirations are misjudged. Many faithful who are attached to the older Roman liturgical form, especially younger people, are far from engaging in ecclesiastical and liturgical polemics regarding Vatican II and the Novus Ordo. Therefore, as true shepherds, the bishops should creatively find solutions so that these faithful are not ghettoized and treated as second-class Catholics. Here the bishops could apply the moral principle of epikeia, where a law is not observed in whole or in part for the sake of a greater good. The bishops have the right to reverently and prudently resist these measures, since they clearly harm the good of the entire church, by almost certainly abolishing a millennium-old liturgical experience that has proven to be fruitful. To simply expunge the great treasures of liturgical rites contained in the Pontificale Romanum, including the theologically and liturgically rich rites of the major and minor orders, the rite of confirmation, and the various consecrations, such as altars, churches, and virgins, stored up by the Roman Church not over just 50 years, as it is the case of the Reformed liturgical rites, but over a millennium, is harmful to the entire Church. Those who currently hold authority in Rome, who have a relatively short term of office in comparison with the Church's 2,000-year history, cannot behave as though they are the exclusive owners of a millennium-old liturgical treasury of the Church. Furthermore, a considerable majority of exemplary Catholics who are attached to the traditional liturgy and who are in no way lacking in fidelity to the current Pope and to their own bishops are being openly slandered and discriminated. The bishops, first and foremost the members of the Sacred College of Cardinals, should express their concerns to the Pope, alerting him to the great harm and glaring injustice being committed against a considerable group of good Catholics. End quote. The document responses at dubium, he says, is, technically speaking, a legitimate document but that it is an unjust document and will go down in history as one of the great acts of violence committed against the faithful by those who in authority in the church. Now, I have to ask a question, though. It, I don't think it can be both legitimate and unjust. I think it's the, the very nature of it being an unjust document eliminates le its legitimacy. We are talking about the Catholic Church here, folks. <laughs> Remember that. And this brings something up that I wanted to touch on. The Council of Trent infallibly declared the following in response to the terrors of Luther and Calvin against the church and their wicked claims that had bled soul, countless souls into perdition. 
from Canon 13 of the seventh session of the Council of Trent comes this de fide statement, quote, If anyone saith that the, that the received and reproved rites of the Catholic Church want to be used in the solemn administration of the sacraments, may be condemned or without sin, be omitted at pleasure by the ministers, or be changed by every pastor of the church into other new ones, let him be anathema. End quote. Francis and numerous bishops, including Roach, have said that the preconciliar form of the sacraments are banned by Traditionis Custodis because they were changed by Paul VI. If you don't believe me, here is what Archbishop Roach specifically said in his response to an alleged dubia that no one has seen. Quote, it should be remembered that the formula for the sacrament of confirmation was changed for the entire Latin Church by St. Paul VI with the Apostolic Constitution Divine Consortium Nature of the 15th of August, 1971. End quote. He said that a sacrament was changed. The Council of Trent says, anyone who says that or tries to do it, let him be anathema, meaning that they're excommunicated. That, to my reading, looks like either Paul VI or Archbishop Roach have excommunicated themselves, though perhaps that's just wishful thinking on my part. Roach is, according to the logic of the now-dead hermeneutic of continuity, according to that, Roach is in error here because, according to the logic of the now-dead hermeneutic of continuity, the old sacraments and the new are the same, just essentially streamlined. Of course, if this document is issued from an authority of the church and is legitimate like the good bishop says in this interview, then we have a bit of a problem on our hands, one worth really looking into. I don't know what the answer is, but I can say that having witnessed firsthand numerous baptisms in the old and new rite, I can safely say that they appear to be very different rites. With the old rite of baptism, including numerous exorcisms and blessings that Paul VI removed in their post-conciliar version, that's kind of one of the marks of the difference. One has these things and the other doesn't. Does it constitute a change in the form of the, of the sacrament? If so, who was anathemized in doing so? Well, let me know what you think that the answer to that question is, because it's one that comes with a lot of uncomfortable answers attached to it. I'll close with this. Bishop Athanasius is asking about the former Ecclesia Dei groups like the FSSP, or he's asked about them, rather, who, in their recent statement, claimed that the document doesn't impact them. That's not necessarily the case. In fact, I was extremely skeptical of that. As I have been saying, and the bishop echoes that observation, quote, The document issued by the Congregation for Divine Worship does not explicitly mention the ex Ecclesia Dei Institutes. Yes, it is, a, it is uncertain whether these institutes and communities will be able to continue to use the old Pontificale Romanum for minor and major ordinations, and for the celebration of the sacrament of the Confirmation according to the same Pontificale in the personal parishes and other places where they carry out their apostolate. The Holy See must consider the fact that the same Holy See, in erecting these institutes, gave them a guarantee that they could use all the liturgical books valid before Vatican II. The neurologic point in this regard is the question of the ordination rites. Were the Holy See to deny these institutes and communities the old ordination rites, it would set a terrible example of breaking one's solemn word and would diminish the Holy See's credibility and integrity also in ecumenical relations with non-Catholic communities. Non-Catholic communities are watching and can plainly see that the Holy See is breaking its word with a group of Catholics with whom it had come to a peaceful and reconciling solution. The violent and treacherous treatment of Catholics attached to the old liturgical tradition will surely not inspire orthodox ecclesial communities to reconcile with the apostolic see. End quote. All of that is true, and has been pointed out exhaustively by many of us over the years, that the moves against tradition and even the existence of the Novus Ordo itself are stumbling blocks with the East towards reunification. Such is the state of things, and the future of the ex-ecclesia Dei groups like the FSSP is another stumbling block. 
Like I said at the start, you can read this interview for yourself. I highly recommend that you do it. It covers a lot more than I covered here, including his thoughts on the Vatican suddenly endorsing New Way's ministry and their James Martin program that absolutely cries out to heaven. You can find a link to it on my sources blog, returntotradition.org. Just skip past the Patreon pop-up since there is no paywall for my sources. Or you can find it on the Remnants website. But let me know what you think about this. Bishop Athanasius is probably the bishop I trust the most in the mainline church, because I can see that he has the faith in his dealings with the various groups in the church and in his public statements. But let me know your thoughts in the comments, please, and as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.